You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. David Farrer is probably New Zealand's best pollster, and I never bet against David's reckons. So we're going to take a look at the various campaigns, crunch some numbers from the polls, and get a feel for where David thinks things will land on Saturday night. Welcome back to The Crunch, David. Good to have you here with two days left to go before Election Day to analyse where we're at with the polls and any insights that you've got from what you're seeing. Yeah, look, great to be back. And it's very different to 2020 in a couple of ways. The first is, well, obviously Labor's not going to have a landslide. In fact, they have the biggest drop in support of any political party since we had the two-party system in the 1930s. The biggest drop previously has been 12%, and they're looking to drop somewhere between 20 and 24%. But very few people have advanced voted last time. It was actually all over by Thursday. 1.9 million people advanced voted. This yep. time it's like 600,000 only. So yeah. What we'll be looking for is what the turnout is, basically. Um, that might make that 1% or 2% difference to some of those parties. Yeah, this was go- I was going to ask you is what's your gut feel on the turnout, what it's looking like or what you think it's going to look like come you know 7pm when those numbers start coming in? I think turnout will be pretty low, definitely lower than last time, maybe even lower than 2017. Because, look, if you're a government supporter, they're running a fair campaign against the opposition because they've got nothing to campaign on. So their supporters, some of them will be motivated by fear, but the ones who are the more swinging voters won't be. The last two weeks of the campaign hasn't focused on issues that matter to people like cost of living. It's all been about, oh, who might be in coalition? Are they scary? Your numbers don't add up. And frankly, that turns people off. So people I'm hearing from is just like they're over this. They just want a result. They want to move on, et cetera. Um, you know, there are people very excited about changing the government, but I don't think it's going to be anything like 2020 or or even 2017 turnout-wise. That's the interesting thing, isn't it? We've got uh, a government that is despised, really. I mean, there's no other word to describe it. It's, it's a, an amazing fall from grace from 2020 to destroy your vote by, you know, half. Yep. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. Normally losing 5% is considered pretty bad. 5%. If you go from 46 to 41%, you're like, oh, wow, that was a terrible result. If you go from 50 to 26%, I mean, that's just, yeah, unheard of. But given that... What we're looking at is a national party that doesn't look like they're going to crack 40% or, or, or return to the John Key levels of support. Um, you've got the ACT Party in, in the Taxpayers Union Courier poll dropping 5%, which is huge. Yep. Are we likely to see uh, a couple of gotchas out there with some with some surprise results? You'll People are leaving Labour for different reasons. Those who are leaving for economic reasons 
have probably gone to national somewhat. Those who have left because they think it doesn't stand for anything have gone to the Greens. Those who are upset that they've sort of talking down co-governance have gone to the Maori Party. And those who hate co-governance are going to act in New Zealand first. Normally, when you lose support, it is often just to the major opposition party. But here, they're losing it for different reasons to different parties. Um, so, you know, the all of the polls so far, and, and we'll see what Thursday night brings with probably the final TVNZ poll, show that neither National Act or Labour Greens Te Māori are going to get to 61 seats. Um, so New Zealand First is going to be... You know, again, the polls have all had them over 5%. Now, look, you can have a bad turnout, you know, um, if it's a cold winter's day and, you know, don't turn out. But at this stage, you know, um, is looking like not not quite Winston decides because he's already decided. He said he won't go with Labour. Yeah. It looks like he'll be needed to make a government. Which is interesting given the full-on attacks that we're seeing now against New Zealand First, we saw the ACT Party run billboards that had a nice picture of Winston Peters and some words beside it that that most people could easily think, well, that's a, that nice Mr. Peters has been saying. Yeah. Um, just well, crazy stuff. Shouldn't have attacked New Zealand First, should have focused on your own policies. And Labour's, of course, attacking Winston now, but not to knock Winston out. They, they realising they can't win, want Winston there because they then think that will give them more stuff to rail against an opposition that, you know, they could then do, hopefully come back after one term, um, et cetera. So the Hipkins and co are trying to use New Zealand first as a wedge to scare people off national, but they actually, and some of their supporters are probably tactically even going New Zealand first saying, well, we'd rather have Winston there than a national act government. So you've, you, this will be the fascinating thing, how much tactical voting is there. Yeah, I mean, I, their ad was showing uh, Winston Peters with Christopher Luxon in his pocket, I thought would appeal to a wide range of people who don't actually like national and want to see somebody <laughs> controlling yeah. Christopher Luxon's globalist tendencies. Um, I, it's just crazy. So this is an election where I haven't seen many of the norms other than seeing the big parties slide in the polls as is usual in the last closing weeks of the election. We've never before seen a government run such a negative campaign against the opposition. They sort of have to because their track record's so abysmal. Often, of course, you part the press releases, etc. But if you look around the country at the moment, Nash, Labour are running blue billboards. Yeah. Uh, with quotes from national MPs on there. Uh, they're running stuff about Winston and their mates in the CTU have run a $400,000 campaign personally against Chris Luxon. And, you know, that is not what normally happens. Normally the government's like, hey, we've achieved a lot. Don't put it at risk. They're untested. You know, uh, here's our policies for the next term. But this is like, We've given up on trying to convince you we, we've been a good government. We're just trying to scare you off the alternative. Uh, it's just hilarious watching it. I mean, they're breaking all the rules. I and mean, it's not just Labour. National's doing it too. Uh, they're breaking all the rules in the norms of political advertising. 
uh, constantly talking about their opponent. Uh, they're not selling uh, the features and benefits of their own policies so much. Uh, in the last three weeks, the entire election uh, narrative has been about Winston Peters and New Zealand first. I mean, Winston must be loving this. <laughs> he is, I think. Uh, <laughs> but what Winston's always needs is relevance. The worst mm. thing for Winston is, oh, they're not going to make 5%, so our of side, how of might. Um, if anyone might surprise on the upside, you know, New Zealand first could. Um, mm. The polls differ a bit whether he's in the 5 6 or 7% range, et cetera. But, you know, um, the more publicity he gets, the, the better he could do. The other one I'd watch out for is the Greens. They don't normally beat their polls, but... I think so many younger progressive voters are switching to the Greens and that, you know, that they could surprise on the upside too. I think that'll be a, uh, a fleeting, almost a high tide really, uh, because those voters uh, are probably tribal Labour and they're saying, well, we're going to, and so you see, you know, like James Shaw in the debate the other night, standing there next to David Seymour and sniping away at him, but also claiming that they were going to have the most MPs ever and uh, and a government with green ministers was going to be fabulous. And nobody pulled him up, not even uh, Patrick Gower or whoever else was running it. I can't even remember who it was now. It might have been Rebecca Wright. Nobody pulled him up and said, are you checking the polls, pal? Because you're not going to have any ministers. And so this is probably a high tide event for the Green Party, which at the next election should see them slip away again. Yeah, look, it could well be. I mean, we've seen to a degree, actually, even where it's not an election result, but ACT at one stage, we're looking to maybe get up to 20 MPs. And in the latest round of polls, they might only get one or two more than they've currently got. So you should never get too uh, confident and comfortable about how many MPs you'll have. If we are watching, a, you know, from home on election night, what are the keys that key indicators that you'll be looking for as a polling expert and the people who are your clients will be calling and saying, what do you think, David? Where are we going with this on these numbers? And sort of what's the time frame that you're likely to say, if we haven't had this indicated by this time, then we should be worried about that or, or yeah. that? Well, it's all changed a bit with the advanced voting. It used to be your first um, hour or so are all the small rural booths coming in, and then you have the more representative booths, and then the last booths to come in are the big South Auckland booths, etc. So I remember I used to sort of have a spreadsheet that if we're at this at 7.30 at night will be this at 9 o'clock, 9.30. But now with the advanced votes, you, you may have, yeah, it won't be two-thirds, but 40% of the electorate will know those results by 8 o'clock. And what I'll just be looking for, it's really just quite simple. Where's New Zealand first? Yep. If New Zealand first is under 5%, then that's huge. Um, that changes... Um, things dramatically and then it's going to be what is national and act up around 60 61 seats projected uh there because 
once you know if they are or are not on track to get 60, 61 seats, then you know it's Winston going to be holding that balance apart. There would have to be a major polling upset. And of course, we haven't seen uh, Thursday night's poll yet for Labour Greens, Māori Pahi to go from some 54 to 61 seats. So yeah, the other thing to watch out for is, well, two things now, special and overseas votes. We won't know them for 10 days. Yep. Last election, National lost two seats to Labour and Greens. Most elections, they lose one. There's a theory, which I hold to, that a lot of Kiwis overseas hate Labour because they locked them out of the country and made them try and go give birth in Kabul rather than let them into MIQ. Yep. So they might not get the same pickup. And of course, we now also have the Port Waikato by-election, uh, which will give National an extra MP too. Um, so party vote, really, it's just look at, will New Zealand first be making it and will National and Act between them be looking like they can get close to 60, 61 seats? Um, what the split is between Labour and Greens, it sort of matters to them, but not in terms of that that overall outcome. I guess there's three or four electorate seats people be interested in. T- top are you know, saying they can run Ireland. The poll hasn't shown that, but that would affect the election significantly if they did win Ireland. Um, but we should get you know, early results for that quite clearly. Northland, I don't think a gain is close, but that's been the only hope for uh, um, Democracy New Zealand. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure they'd even go list MP and on current polling, though, if they came in. Māori seats will be interesting because if Māori Pahi don't win one of them, but I think they'll win at least one, then they don't get into Parliament because they're polling under 5% too. It won't affect the election, but Tamaki's looking really interesting between Simon O'Connor and Brock Van Velden, 2% in my latest poll. So just let's just touch on the Maori seats because there's a poll that's been released that shows that Rawari Waititi is twice as far in, ahead as as the Labour candidate. Yeah. You've done polling in Maori seats. Is it more difficult than other seats to poll for? And, yeah, and are the polls accurate for Maori seats? In, in they are less accurate. Yeah. So we're in a normal... New Zealand polls tend to be accurate within 3% or so, right? So if we say you're going to get 47%, you won't be too surprised if it's 45 or 49. Electric polls only have 500 people, so they're sort of a 4 to 5% margin of error. So in a poll in, say, Tamaki, where we had O'Connor ahead by 2%, if Brock wins by 5%, won't be surprised. If O'Connor wins by 5%, won't be surprised. Add then onto that the unique challenges of the Maori seats where um, you have more people in deprived areas, hard to get them on phone or cell phone or internet panels. Uh, you can have language issues uh, getting through to them. And you also find it harder, like if I'm polling Tamaki, I just phone people who live in the geographic area. But yeah. to poll people in a Maori seat, what we actually do is we look at do they live in an area where over half the census population is Maori. So basically, there's more ways where your sample can be wonky. Having said that, so can you get results where they're ten percent different? Yes, 
that happened last election, partly because we polled three, four weeks before the elections, Jacinda came along. In this particular seat, though, his lead is so large, you know, 25% or so, yeah. it would be pretty stunning for that to, to go the other way. Of course, there's always the the uh, risk that people can answer a telephone and give you a poll, you know, give you an answer, but actually bothering to go and take their card down to the polling station and vote is another thing entirely. Yeah, and more people live in very rural areas in some of those seats uh, where there's not as good access to polling places, etc. So there definitely is quite a bit of uncertainty over those, except, as I say, I think in Wairiki, it, it would be quite a surprise. Really what the Maripai want to avoid is any candidate in that seat dying before Friday because if they did, like Port Waikato, there'd be a by-election but then yeah. if it's the only seat they were in line to win and they don't get that on election night, they'd actually be out of parliament altogether. Well, you know, I guess that is a risk, but, you know, with only two days left to go, it's something that might might not happen and there's a good chance that that is the case. Just no, going... One constitutional lawyer did point out that if you really wanted to cause mischief, you could go around the hospices and sign all these people up as candidates uh, and electorates where you yeah. don't like the MPs and have them all die or do euthanasia the week before the election. <laughs> and suddenly you might have 30 seats that have to go to a by-election because of the, this rule that if a candidate dies, even if that candidate had no chance of winning, um, it means you can't carry on with the election. Yeah, I, f I just find it a very strange rule, but I guess it's been sitting there on the books and never had to be used. And, I can't uh, recall it being used before, no. No. Just going back to the, you know, 7 p.m. where we start, the Electoral Commission will release the advanced voting numbers. They've collated those already, haven't they? No, they start, I think, either midday or 9 a.m., uh, yeah, but they're they're doing it on election day, right? So so they're ready to go by seven PM that they'll start releasing the numbers. They'll have some totals. Let's say eight hundred thousand people voted. If we see when that's released by the electoral commission that there's going to be a change of government, uh, with that many people already voted, does the the laws of large numbers, you know, all the the calculations come into effect. If we're seeing that with 800,000 votes, there's a likelihood that that's going to continue in all the other votes that come through. It tends to, but it can vary. 2017, the advanced votes were pretty similar to the election day votes. 2020, Labor did better with advanced votes than election day votes. Uh, right. but their support has had to side locked in. It's possible this time that um, National might do a bit better with advanced votes for those who want to change the government have made their mind up. Uh, and Labor possibly do a bit better with their scare campaign, the last minute voters. So, yeah, you, you, you can't say it's going to be all over by eight o'clock because... I don't think it's going to be so much, okay, is there going to be a change of government? But it will be, we need to wait to see what type of government it's looking to Yeah, be. what is it, it looks like. Act, is it National Act New Zealand first? Um, how 
also, you know, of interest is how many ministers will Labor lose? Um, are they going to, you know, you know, they might only get three or four list MPs if they have a really bad day. Or none. That would be interesting. <laughs> I mean, there is a chance of that uh, decapitation strategy working against the Labour Party where they don't get any list MPs because they've won all the electorates they, they've uh, predicted to win. And well, their, vote, their vote is so low that they actually create an overhang and then there's no list MPs, which means that David Parker and some other senior MPs would just disappear. And Grant Robertson, Andrew Little, Ayesha Verrill. Yeah, they hold, I think, 46 electorate seats at the last election. Most polls have them getting 35 seats. So they have to lose at least 12 electorates mm. to get even one list MP. And are they likely to lose 12 electorates? I think they are likely to use 12, but potentially maybe not a huge amount more than 12. If if their campaign in Wellington, if they keep Ohario and Hutt South, for example, because Wellington's always very red, you know, um, you've got so, that. Yeah, just doing a quick count, there's Upper Harbour, they're probably likely to lose that. I'd say um, so. they're probably going to lose that. That's two. So we, you know, we're all we, we're on the way there. They're going to probably lose both Hamilton seats. Yeah, those are bellwether right. seats. You know, if you lose Plymouth, Hamilton, probably. Yeah, if you lose Hamilton, then you're losing the country. Uh, if you lose Auckland, you're losing the country. So those not South- that many marginal seats in Auckland though. Mangakiki and Northcote. Um, Northcote, yeah, they'll lose Northcote. What's that? They'll lose Northcote. Well, I'm not sure they were going to until all of Shannon Halbert's former staff came out and mm. he's a terrible bully. I can't imagine that helps you in the election campaign. No, not entirely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the key indicators then for you are to see what the, the lay of the land is from that the, the big dump from the Electoral Commission straight yeah. up. And then you'd be looking at some key seats like the Hamilton seats, like New Plymouth, uh, Napier, perhaps, uh, to see what those are, are doing. And if those are lost to Labour, then we're, we're definitely seeing a, a change of government. Yeah, the provincial seats, you know, make up, they combine the provincial cities even bigger than Auckland. Yeah. Uh, so that's your Hamiltons, your New Plymouth, your Napier, your Nelsons, Palmy North. Invercargill, Dunedin, etc. Um, and some of those are safe labor, you know, Dunedin, etc. But if you've got these massive swings in Hamilton, New Plymouth, Tauranga, that's going to affect the party vote. Yeah, big, big time. And then, of course, you know, famously, the Labour Party president at the time was talking about these big booths in South Auckland coming in. If we're seeing a low turnout that's coming in in the booth numbers in the South Auckland electorates, then Labor's toast too, aren't they? Yeah, they really, unless the polls are all wrong or all change in the last couple of days, they need to win the turnout game. And to be fair to Labor, they usually have a good turnout game. But last time, you know, Jacinda Mania... Um, pretty easy to turn people out. What is Chris Hipkins offering South Auckland? Well, he's scaring them against a change of government, but I don't think he's offering them that much, to be honest. 
Well, I noticed he was campaigning wearing a black jacket the other day rather than his red Labour jacket. Yeah. And I thought, you know, if your leader won't even wear your colours, um, you've got a serious problem. Uh, so let's crack into some predictions. Let's talk about some key electorates and, and what that means for the minor parties. We've talked about Islam. Look, I don't think that uh, Top's going to win that. I, I, I just can't see that happening in a million years. The one they need to get national voters as well as Labour voters, and they haven't really made a good case for why national people should split their vote because Top's not promised to go with national. Well, Top, no one actually knows what they stand for. I mean, I, I can't believe they're still around. It'd be like the Internet Party still being around and campaigning. Oh, that'd be great. Um, Northland, we're going to see a national MP there, aren't we? we there's been yeah, what Grant four McCallum should win fairly handsomely. What will be interesting, maybe, is who comes second. Will it be Willow Jean Prime, the incumbent MP, or could Shane Jones even come second? Well, if Shane Jones comes second, then that's a good indicator for New Zealand first. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it'd be a silly man to bet against national winning that electorate. I mean, yes, we can point to 2020, but 2020 was an aberration. Um, so the hopes of democracy in New Zealand, I mean, the four polls have sh have shown that up there in that electorate that there's no way that anything's happening other than a, a march towards the blue team. Yeah, they've all been consistent. Different results, but same outcome. Yeah. What about in your polling, have you detected this uh, hidden 2 million votes that Liz Gunn is saying that they're going to get for NZ Loyal? No, um, you know, there are a few percent saying other parties, but the problem is that there are, I can't even list all the anti-vax parties. There's so many now or anti-mandate parties. You know, I think you've got the Leighton Baker party, you've got Democracy NZ, um, you've got, is Liz Gunn's one loyal, is it? Yeah, NZ loyal. NZ Loyal, you, you know, Ed, you've got the Freedom Coalition, you've got Vision New Zealand's part of that, you've got the Outdoors and Recreation Party part of that, et cetera. So I think all those votes um, will either be wasted or will go to a party like New Zealand First that I think is sympathetic to their concerns about what happened, uh, even if not as focused on it as Liz Gunner's. Yeah, well, Liz Gunn's had, saying at every public meeting that the indications are that they've got 2 million people voting for them. How many voters are there in a general election anyway? Three to three and a half million. So they'll be a majority government if that's right. Right. So, so, <laughs> so she's claiming they're going to have enough votes to be like the Labour Party in, after 2020. Yes. And you're not picking The problem up is they only have three list candidates. Two. So... If you're actually a fan of small parliament, you should hope they get 60% of the vote because then parliament will go from 120 MPs to around 70 or so. Look, all politicians um, are charlatans to a certain extent. They, they'll say whatever it takes every three years to get elected. It's the job of the news media to hold them to account, and we don't see that happening very often. But for these minor parties, I've come to the conclusion now, and it's rather strong, uh, my views on it, but it's rather deceitful to be talking about 
creating this huge wave of support when it doesn't even show up in the polls. And there's no way that I can accept that all the polls are bent. You know, some of them occasionally have a slight aberration in the results compared to others. But what we're looking at with all of the polls is the numbers are there or thereabouts. They're remarkably consistent this time round. There's seven or eight different polling companies and they're all getting very similar results. Yeah, so based on that, the chances of NZ Loyal getting even 1% are very slim, aren't they? That, well, they're certainly not going at five. I mean, when you're down at around the half a percent mark, whether it's half a percent or 1%, it can vary, but it's going to be nowhere near 5%. So the reality is, is we're going to see the National Party, the Labour Party, ACT Party, Green Party, maybe the Maori Party, depends if they win a seat or not, uh, and New Zealand First in Parliament, and a government that will likely be a National Act and New Zealand First coalition of some description. Yeah, I think that's the most likely outcome at this stage. It rather begs the question then, why National came out over the weekend and did a, uh, what I saw as a Hail Mary and desperate attempt where they started raising the spectre of a second election. And as Winston Peters pointed out on breakfast television, that's never happened in the entire history of New Zealand's voting since 18, I don't know, 60-something. It did seem desperate. What's your view on that? Um, look, I, you look at what the incentives are. If you're the major party, to be blunt, they would like to be a single-party government like Labour was. And almost like John Key had, where you have like 58, 59 seats and your minor partners, you know, you give them a cup of bones, basically. Yeah. Failing that, two-party coalitions, let's just put personalities aside for a moment, are better than three-party coalitions because you only need to agree with one other person party and you can go on there. So their incentive is we'd much rather have a two-pie one. Add on the fact that Seymour and Peters especially uh, get pretty fractious with each other and Seymour has said he'd never support a government with New Zealand First and Cabinet. What <laughs> National's worried about is that if people think it's inevitable New Zealand First, it will be part of a national-led government, they might bleed some support back to Labour. So it's not actually so much anti-New Zealand first. It's responding to Labour's scare campaign effectively is what they're trying to do. Yeah. But I guess they have to do that when they're not approaching 40% in the polls. You know, if you're over 40%, it changes the narrative a little bit, but they're not, and they don't look like they've been, been any... I mean, this is where someone oh. needs to sit down and say to Chris Bishop... And Christopher Luxon, remember when you said the goal, you know, three months out from the election was to get over 40 percent? How did you go on that? Yeah. Nationals votes actually holding up in most of the polls reasonably well. Yep. It's more that ACT have been losing support, like in the Courier TU poll. Mm. National actually went up a percent, but it went down 5%, New Zealand First up 3%. So to a degree, I think, you know, National had been, well, even 35 36% is enough if it gets 12%, but if it's only getting 9%, suddenly it's not enough. Do you think there's a risk that, well, it's not a risk is probably the wrong word, is there a chance 
that ACT could be outpolled by New Zealand First on Election Day? Yeah, there is a chance. I, I won't call it a high chance, but in you know, if one's polling seven percent and one nine percent, um, there has getting into territory where if one has good turnout and the other doesn't, you know, uh, there could could be a small lead to New Zealand first. Not likely, but not not you know, it's the not sort zero of thing which would be oh, I never saw that coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is a, a possibility, but it's a small possibility. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a shame because I've got some bets on that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's 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 it, it's an interesting campaign. And like oh, you and I have been following politics for a long, long time. And I'm struggling to pick what this is like. And I, I put that to Winston Peters. Uh, the other day, and he couldn't give me a, an example. He said it's not like 2002. And Morris Williamson said the same thing. It's just it's not like 2002, but it's not like 1990 either. But some of the results will be like Labor having their support is massive uh, compared to 1990, where a landslide election was won by Jim Bolger, but it was only about a 12 percent swing. Like a few months ago, I thought it was looking like 2005 election. Mm. Labour and National very close to each other will come down to the wire. Then as they started to fall away Labour, I was thinking, is it maybe like 2002? But as Winston's come back in, actually have a look at the 1996 election. National got 34%. And they're polling around 36, 37, not too far off. Labour got 28% in their election. Uh, they're polling around 27, 28. New Zealand First isn't going to get, they got 13% that time, but they're certainly well above the threshold. At got over 5% that time, they're above the threshold. And if you substitute Greens for the Alliance, um, you know, it's, probably more similar to 96 than um, any other. The thing I pick up is, look, people are desperately unhappy with the government. Mm. Uh, they're desperately unhappy with the country, but they're uncertain about what the change should be, what to change to. And that then leads, if it's looking like 1996, and David Seymour's attitude in the last few days where he's, reiterated his threat to sit on the cross benches and choose which policies and and uh, what things he's going to fund. Seems rather dangerous uh, position for him to paint himself into, uh, having that together with his, he'll never support a government where Winston Peters is in cabinet, where ACT can hardly go and support the Labour Party and the Green Party and any of their policies. He runs the risk that Christopher Luxon thinks, well, actually, it's probably easier to deal with Winston Peters. And we'll just throw a couple of bones to the ACT Party, but where else are they going to go? Look, it's going to come down to what each party gets. If, if a, a month ago, if it was looking like ACT getting 13% New Zealand first 5%, mm. then that 13% party has a lot of sway. If though it's ACT gets 9%, Winston gets 7%, or even closer than that, then yes, Luxon will have different dynamics at play in trying to put government together. I think for my one, because ACT have ruled out supporting um, New Zealand first in Cabinet, New Zealand first 
if that holds, will stop at going into cabinet. Yeah. And do you do ministers outside cabinet? Well, maybe, but then you have to defend the government even though you're not run the cabinet table. So they may end up with a national minority government which has to do confidence and supply agreements and get every law agreed to independently by both Act and New Zealand First. And that would be very challenging. It would be a disaster, actually. But, yeah, that's the thing that I found with Luxon's messaging over the weekend that we may have a second election if we can't do a deal. This is a guy that's been touted to the electorate as this amazing businessman who's worked in these huge corporations getting deals done, and now he's admitting overtly, not just tacitly, not even hinting, he's admitting overtly that we might be not be able to have to get to get a deal done. Kind of popping that bubble of that he's this confident business person who can get deals done. Because I know that Winston Peters will do a deal. He'll do a deal with the devil if it's necessary, right? And so what you're left with really is David Seymour on the outside being petulant when Things are so important for this country to get right. I mean, our economy's on its knees. Um, we've got a large segment of of the community that are work shy and don't even want to go into the office, uh, preferring to work at home with Zoom, et cetera. There's just massive, massive structural problems that are occurring in New Zealand that are going to need to be fixed up. And we've got a couple of petulant schoolboys throwing their toys out of the cot. It doesn't really fill you with confidence, does it? Oh, look, I think they will negotiate and get an agreement. I think it's pre-election rhetoric where it's trying to just say, look, we'd rather have a two-person government than a three-person government. But, you know, what they were partly doing is there is also a small chance, I don't think it's a big chance, of a hung parliament where, you know, you could have National Act New Zealand first with 60 seats and Labour Green Māori Party with 60 seats. And because for the first time ever, we don't actually have a party in the middle that could go either way because everyone's ruled the other side out. That's where you could get a second election scenario, except now we're going to get 121st MP in the Port Waikato by-election. So um, that shouldn't be an active scenario. A sensible way forward for Christopher Luxon, surely, would be to get those two in a room and bash their heads together get them to agree to work together and form a coalition that gives you a comfortable majority where you can take a, a minister being sacked and throwing his toys or somebody dying and having a by-election or any number of well, vagaries that well, can cause a by-election and therefore your one-seat majority disappears. I'm of the belief that even if National Act got 61 seats, they should and would offer confidence and supply agreement at least to New Zealand First because you're absolutely right. 67 seats is much better than 61. If they don't have 61 seats, then you, you, you need to be uh, coming to agreement anyway. I'm not sure, though, they'll all sit around in a room. If you look at what Winston did in 17, he wouldn't negotiate with the Greens. He said, I'll negotiate with Labour, and it's Labour's job to make sure their agreement with the Greens is consistent with what they agree with us. Yeah. So you might have that Nationals meeting in the morning with New Zealand First and in the afternoon with ACT and trying to sort of get consistency there. Um, personally, I would have thought all three in a room together would be easier, but, you know, um, sometimes uh, optics, you know, they don't want to be seen directly negotiating with each other. 
Yeah. What about the line the National Party's been running with their radio ads, TV ads, and, and print ads, where they're saying, oh, you know, we could have an election and there could be eight weeks of negotiations and the country can't afford this. Now, you know, my neighbour upstairs and uh, where I live, he was running that line two days before it hit the papers and the radio. So it's clearly a line that the National Party has pushed out to its members to say. Um, he's rather you know, stupidly ran the line with me. And uh, and I said, well, hang on, we've had six years of nothing. What's another six to eight weeks? It's, it, it, it seems a specious argument to, to run. It plays to that people don't like uncertainty. Mm. So that's what plays to, but I'm a bit more relaxed over how long they'll take because someone who's been involved in a number of negotiations made the point. This is your only time in a three-year period where politicians sit around the table deciding policies with no officials in the room. Mm. And so don't worry if it takes an extra week because this is if you if you want good policy outcomes, this is actually your best opportunity to actually get good policy delivered. Because once you're actually in government, then uh, it's far hard. Everything has to be done through cabinet papers, official advice, six-month consultations, etc. So um, you know, I'm more interested in the quality of any agreements rather than how long they take. Yeah, I mean, I'm of the same opinion. I don't actually care how long it takes. I mean, in Germany, it took three months. Um, in Israel, they've had multiple uh, governments. Uh, you know, they had to have four elections to finally get the result that they've got now. So I think, you know, if it takes four to six weeks, you know, and remember, 10 days is taken up by waiting for the special votes. But if it takes four to six weeks to to get an agreement where the majority of each party's policies are supported in some way or another, then that's a, isn't that a good result for New Zealand that we took that time to do that? Yeah, look, if the quality outcome is, is good, that's the most important thing. I don't think it will take as long as usual because if you accept Winston at his word, he's not going to be doing what he's done on three other occasions where he sits down with National and Labour yeah. and they sort of play them off against each other and see who can get the best deal, he should only be sitting down with National. Uh, well, National, of course, will be meeting with Act too. But by its nature, I would have thought, uh, negotiating with just one major party should be a lot quicker than negotiating with two. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. But, you know, I've raised this question privately with Winston when I had a, a whiskey and, and cigar night with him. And I said to him, look, everyone thinks you're you're lying and, you, and you're full of shit and that you will negotiate with Labour. And he put down his cigar and he looked at me across the table and he says, listen to me here, Cam. I am not doing a deal with those people at all. And he was emphatic about it and he was pounding the table when he did it. That is the feeling of animus that he has towards the Labour Party, and I've never seen that before. Yeah, no, I mean, this is the first time he's been so explicit. I do understand why, because in the past he has been tricky. Like yeah. in 96, he never said he wouldn't go with National, but he said, I want to get rid of the National government. 
And then when he did a deal with them, he said, well, I did get rid of them. It's now a national New Zealand first government. <laughs> and yeah, technically didn't lie, but but that's why people are a bit there. But the fact he is at 100 public meetings said, I will not support Labour, I won't do supply and confidence. Uh, my belief is he will only negotiate with National. Where it could get interesting, though, is what if there is too big a gulf between what you can get ACT to agree to and what you can get New Zealand First to agree to. Could Winston, after four or five days of negotiating with National, if he really can't get anything satisfactory, then could he say, well, I'm going to talk to the other side? Unlikely, but not necessarily impossible. I mean, if you look at the policy prescriptions of New Zealand First and National, there's not too much different. I mean, there's a couple of things that that are probably not going to fly. But the biggest sticking point, I think, would be between National and ACT, when you've got ACT who is emphatic that they're going to have a referendum on co-governance. Now, I'd argue you actually don't need to have a referendum on co-governance because we had an election and the parties that supported co-governance lost. But David Seymour's dogmatic about that and emphatic well, I can about it. I understand why, though, because, yes, they lose this election, but in three or six years they'll come back yeah. and they'll take that as a mandate to go even more radical. But they'll still so, do that anyway, even well, if you had it. Well, if it's a referendum that will entrench a law defining – I do quite like – Well, that's a, different, that's a different proposition, isn't it? For it's normally a referendum – the politicians say, thanks very much, that's nice, and then co- totally ignore it. Yeah. It needs to be an entrenched referendum. So it's binding on courts, it's binding on the government, it's binding on parliament, and the only way you could overturn that is another referendum. So that could be a useful outcome, would be active said this, if Winston's the one who says, well, I'll only support it if it's a binding referendum. Mm. Uh, so the people should decide, uh, not the politicians. That could be, you know, one of the potentially good outcomes of coalition negotiations. It could be. And and the other thing that I was thinking too is that Christopher Luxon, you know, he's desperately wet, really. He's quite liberal. I mean, he's he's more left-wing than Helen Clark in many respects. No, as left wing as Jim Bolger. No one. No, left-wing. no, no one is left wing as Jim Bolger. That, that's one of the reasons why I never support a, a republic. As long as Helen Clark and Jim Bolger are still alive, I, I will never support a republic. But anyway, I can see a, a a benefit for Christopher Luxon to have New Zealand First, where their their first three MPs are all Maori, with you know, Winston Peters, Shane Jones, and Casey Costello. And they're saying things that Christopher Luxon can't possibly say. And they do things that Christopher Luxon can't possibly do. And so to bring New Zealand first in, and then also there are some things that ACT and David Seymour can do, again, being Maori, that they can say in this space that the National Party can say, well, we agreed to do it in the in the coalition agreement, but um, you know, what they say is up to them. It allows him to have a government that will do the necessary hard stuff without negatively impacting the National Party. Potentially, but we'll also come down like on the co-governance side, 
yes, when that message comes from someone like Winston or Shane or Casey, it's harder for the media to attack it as racist mm. than if it comes from, from a European politician, even though it shouldn't, but this is the reality. But what National, I think, will be most focused on is with our cost of living crisis, mm. they've got a tax and welfare package to help people with that, is will they be able to get back through their coalition partners? Mm. Because it won't help them if, yes, we can have you know more vocalism on co-governance if at the end of the day people six months after the election think that uh, nothing's changed and that they're not getting you know that support they need to be able to afford food and petrol. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Winston's got a good idea of having a mini budget um, within you know fairly quickly. Because I think that the government has massaged the books to suit an agenda. And, you know, I, I know that they, you know, this is the crazy stuff about Grant Robertson. He's saying if you vote for the National Party and Act, then there's going to be cuts to, to government services, right? But, you know, just six weeks before the election, he had all of the heads of departments and yes. and and was cutting $4 billion of spending out so that they could get the prefu um, calculations to be sort of balanced. But those cuts seem to have been okay. And the but CTU even, doesn't campaign on those cuts. No. Yes, it's a total hypocrisy. If Labor cuts spending, it's good and it won't impact anything. If National cuts spending, though, it will affect frontline services. Total bullshit and hypocrisy because if spending was that correlated to frontline services, we'd have the best health system in the world. They're spending 60% more on the health system than 2017, yet... ED waiting times, five times as many people aren't being seen, surgical waiting lists, immunization, every mental health statistics. Um, they've got less mental health beds despite $1.9 billion package, et cetera. So, you know, it is bull, basically. But it's all they've got is, is, is fear. Fear, spin, negativity. You know, and I thought 2014 was, was a... Uh, pretty bad election for negativity from the Labour Party, but this one's out of the park. But yep. it never works. Like going negative never works. You can go well, negative on one work. or two issues, but on everything, it just never works. No, but it, it, it's called being desperate, and they're just hoping that you know it will have enough of an impact to um, make Labour seem like they haven't lost so badly. Yeah, desperation is a stinky cologne, though, isn't it? Yes. All right, just to wrap up then, what's your prediction on the numbers, headline numbers? For seats or votes? Now, let's talk votes, then we'll talk seats slightly separately. Yeah. Well, at the public polls we've seen, National is mid to high 30s, um, et cetera. They'd be very happy if it got to high 30s. Labor is ironic, but if they got 30%, they'd probably be delighted. They shouldn't be. That's terrible. But there's something psychologically about getting a result in the 20s, which is very damning. I haven't seen any polls really having them except Roy Morgan under 25. So their most likely is that 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 high 20s, maybe mid-20s on, on a bad result. Greens, I would be surprised if they got below 10. They really seem to be picking up a lot of support from Labour. 15 would be their high point. 
So probably if you sort of think halfway, probably around 12 for the greens. At is difficult because I think it is still quite volatile there. It would have to be a pretty bad night for them not to get at least what they got last time, 8% or so. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now probably even getting above 10% would would be a relatively good outcome for them, I think, when when you look at the polls. I mean, some of them have had them at 10, 11, others at 9, etc. Psychologically, double figures is good. Murray Pahi might surprise people with its Pahi vote. That it could well get three to four percent that could get them four or five MPs. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see. And New Zealand first, um mm-hmm. my last poll had them at 6.9. So in that six to seven range, may maybe better if they you know, get that momentum from being talked about all the time. 6.9 is seven. So they could get another percent and be at around eight. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Eight imagine them on eight and New Zealand first on nine. That's going to be interesting. It, it, it will be interesting. Um, again, I think turnout's going to be quite critical, making sure your supporters actually vote, because I think a lot of people are a bit over it. Well, I think a lot of people are a lot over it. You know, they, they've had six years of, well, the first three years was average government, to be fair. The last three years has been appalling government. And uh, th- there's going to be some retribution there, but I'm not sure that anybody's going to sit back and do a, a good, honest review of their campaigns because the way I see it, the National Party's had an average campaign. I can't think of a single headline thing other than their tax cuts, which has got question marks over, but there's nothing major that we're sitting there. ACT has had uh, probably peaked way too, a little bit early or a lot early. Um, and the last three weeks have been a disaster for them. The Greens, I'm not even sure they've had a campaign, really. They're just sucking up disenchanted Labour voters. Labour's had an appalling campaign, and New Zealand First has had a great campaign, mainly because everyone else has talked about them. Yes. <laughs> so so it's Winston Peters' election in terms of a campaign. I mean, you know, he had Kobe, the new dog that he, that he's got, and then he had the video of the horse. The horse, yeah. <laughs> but every time it appears, you know, there's this discussion about Winston Peters on the news, there's the horse video again, you know. So in terms of advertising, that's the biggest bang for the buck and probably the cheapest ad they've produced ever that's uh, been spread around hugely. And then you got yeah, well, Shane well, Jones singing sea shanties. <laughs> Did you see that one? Yes, yeah. 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 They always have a campaign review a couple of months after the election at Vic Uni. Um, and it'd be very interesting to get the postmortems from all the campaign managers because sometimes they can be a bit brutally honest. Yeah, I, it would be fun to be a fly on the wall in some of the campaign meetings. You know, they sit there and think, well, when when did it go wrong? Well, let's look at our poll numbers. Well, it turned here. Well, what did we do around that time? And go back and actually look at it and think, oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have done that or we shouldn't have attacked that person. It's always fascinating that analysis that happens afterwards. And a brave political party does that anyway and is honest about it, even when they win. And I think that's the problem the big parties have had in the past. When they've won, they've sort of shelved the review of the campaign on what they could have done better because, hey, we won and we're in charge. Yeah. And I think National's more guilty of that than anybody else. Anyway, David, thank you very much for coming on The Crunch and uh, reviewing 
where we're at with the polls. Just two days to go until we get a result, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have a change of government on Saturday night. Fingers crossed. Don't bet against David when it comes to political outcomes. He has far too much information, and his reckons are based on his 30-plus years of polling expertise. We're going to have a new government, but what that new government looks like is up to the voters. Let's see if David's predictions come true on Saturday night. Don't forget to send comments on David's interview to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.